You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey now. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. Let's do that again. Hey now. Might have a future in this whole talking thing. Hello, my name is Doc Coyle. Welcome to the X-Man podcast. I am your host. I'm an X-Man. And by that, I mean I used to do shit. I still do shit, but not the shit I I was doing. I'm doing a whole other line of, of stuff, which is also some shit. How are you guys doing? I'm 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 doing all right. That was a rhetorical question. I'm I'm not I'm not really listening unless you want to like tweet me how you're how you're doing. Uh, speaking of Twitter and what's going on, it's been been kind of a crazy last week. Uh, I'm sure all of you have heard about this big shooting that happened. Uh, high school shooting happened in Florida. I hate to dwell on uh, morbid or uh, depressing topics, but sometimes. We, we must talk about these things because they're they're in the air and and uh you know I think sometimes it's it's good to to express ourselves and, and I have a forum and I'm I'm doggone and I'm I'm gonna use it but anyway I uh I I released a series of tweets uh and I'd like to read them for you and, and kind of talk about that so here's what I said in times of high social tension one of the biggest problems with the important debates are that most people are trying to win the argument We'd all be better served to earnestly find the best solution or answer. That's hard to do when you're always playing defense to your starting position. When you're trying to win an argument, you tend to cherry pick facts and arguments that support your thesis. I learned this when I was writing, when I learned how to write papers in high school, props to Mrs. Ripton. It always confused me writing papers, how hypocritical this was. This is also the art of politics. You can only get there if you honestly ask, what if I'm wrong? Then actually do the work to audit your own ideology. This takes humility, but also strength. Finding out you are wrong on a big issue can tear apart the fabric of one's identity. So to kind of break down what I was what I was saying there, and I kind of spun that around a little bit. I don't know if I said those exactly in, in order. <laughs> um, clearly this was inspired by the events that happened uh, with the school shooting, because, you know, I'll be honest, when these events happen now, I'm just numb. Um, because I think in, in many ways they are, um, they're abstract concepts 
that are only it's because of social media and the news that you make something distant, personal, and close, you know? So sometimes I think it's like, well, if I really care about this, why does this affect me as opposed to some school bombing in Ghana or something? Why is, uh, you know, this idea of making uh, global tragedies personal, you know, is something a little tough for me. But, you know, so and and because they're they're so consistent now, they're so um, they seem to happen every few months that, yeah, I, I, I feel numb to it because, yeah, I, I, I'm, I guess I, I become cynical because I don't feel like anything really is, is going to change. But there seems to be something a little different about this. But what I was talking about mainly is the way people react to these situations. And you and it's very predictable how people are going to react because you have one group of people who will say. We need gun control. And I'll be honest, I'm I'm definitely more in, in that camp, but I've just given up on on saying a lot of these things to be be truthful. Um and then you have the other corner who is basically saying, Well, let's not talk about it or getting rid of guns aren't gonna solve what you, you pretty much know the, the kind of pro pro gun and anti gun argument. And, you know, all those things are very predictable. But the reason why I, I brought up this this way we need to look at things is I think the way we actually talk about most issues is wrong. In that we actually talk about issues as if we were in a courtroom, right? And someone's is the defense and someone is the prosecution. So all I'm going to do is talk about all the shit that supports my argument and ignore everything else, which I think is actually ridiculous, especially in the real world. It's like, shouldn't we all be on the same team to say, hey, let's figure out the right thing. Not, let's not just ignore the stuff that doesn't support what I believe. Let's actually put all the facts together. But the only way you can do that is to actually um, act in good faith. You need to kind of trust the other person that you disagree with. And this is something we don't do well, especially now. This is, this is as polarized an environment we've ever had. And I've said it bef before on here that I, that I think um, polarization is the number one problem, at least in America. I can't speak to the rest of the world, but... Uh, we don't trust each other, so we assume the person I'm disagreeing with has bad intentions, that, that we're lying. We're, we don't really believe what we say, you know, and so you, how can you ever have an honest com conversation with someone when you kind of think, you know, they're going to, they have a knife in their, in, in their backhand, they're just going to stab you the, the second um, they get a chance. So I think with, with, with this issue in, in, in particular, you know, like I said, I'm, you know, I lean left, but this is the reason why I actually believe I'm, I'm a centrist is that, you know, I, I remember Chris Rock said on one of his uh, standups that, you know, there's some some shit I'm liberal on, some shit I'm conservative on. Right. But I actually don't think that's what centrism is. I think centrism is actually being able to see both sides of an argument. And maybe you're just in one column, 55 percent to 45 percent or 50 or uh, 60, 40 or whatever way you divide it, because on some issues, there actually is no great solution. There's only bad options and worse options. And people don't tend to look at things like that, um, you know, because we just tend to look at the people we disagree with as in a very uncharitable way, right? So look at, I, th I find the, um, the abortion issue to almost be like the opposite coin of the gun issue, because 
the opinions are reversed, right? So on that one, the conservatives are, they want to save the lives. And, you know, and, and you see it by, by, by the way their names are, right? Pro-choice, pro-life, right? They say, I stand for something positive, right? Everyone loves choice. Everyone loves life, right? But we just ignore the other side of it, right? They, but they each have a consequence, you know? Um, and I think this is, is the same thing. And one of the things I kind of realized about it is we're, you know, I believe, you know, and it's not even a belief. I think it's a fact. If, if you had less guns, less people would die and get shot. That's just a fact. But we have 350 million guns. And people have been told for decades that people are coming for their guns and to stock up. They're coming. You bet you better be ready to put that militia together and fight the government and go to war. And that's what people believe. So how do you get that person to back off their, uh, you know, because they're, they're in defense mode. They think they're the, the underdog and that the elite mainstream society is coming at, coming after them. They're playing defense. So there are, I think the only way you'll make any progress with this is you need the gun enthusiasts. And I think there is a difference between the gun owners and the gun enthusiasts, but you need those people to want to change the system. They have to want it. You know, it's not, hey, I'm gonna take your gun. It's gotta be, hey, um, we're doing a gun buyback program. Uh, and if you think this is gonna make uh, things better, maybe you'll, you'll just, you'll give it away, you know, or you'll wanna come, you know, that way. Like you, people have to want to change. You can't force it upon them. It'll, it'll have, that'll have the inverse effect. And I don't know if that'll happen. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but this time feels a little different. Um, but I think with this issue, like I said, I think it's, I can, t I totally see where gun owners are coming from. And I think it's a complex issue. I think a lot of people who are anti-gun don't know a lot about guns at all. I don't know that much about guns, but also I think it's important for, for me. This is another thing is just being honest about what you're ignorant about, about what you don't know. It's like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a gun expert. I'm not. So why am I going to talk like I have all the facts and figures about how they're made and how they, they work? And I don't know all that stuff. So I, I try not to speak out of turn. But I, I do think if you're presuming the other person is going to stab you in the back in any second, the conversation is pretty much already over. So try and just be better to each other, listen to each other and not speak already with your mind made up actually think about hey man maybe maybe i should listen to this other person maybe they're not crazy you know i don't know that's all i got for you guys so merchandise huh you know uh band merchandise <laughs> in in the the worst segue in history we have a show sponsor here called rockabilia.com uh if you go and support any anyone that sponsors this show it means a lot to me. It means a lot to the show. It keeps the lights on around here. Uh, if you like merchandise for bands, for movies, for cartoons, for whatever, you go over to rockabilia.com. They have half a million items and it is the real deal officially licensed merchandise. Uh, you can use our code, the X-Man code. It's P-C-E-X-M-A-N. That's P-C-X-Man. Thank you so much. Please check them out. And our guest coming up, who played, I don't know if you guys know this, this guy, Lloyd Grant. See, at first I found out that a black dude played Metallica and it changed, it changed my whole world, all right? 
I'm very excited about this. Uh, this guy, Lloyd Grant, played on the original, the first Metallica recording ever, uh, Hit the Lights on the Metal uh, Massacre Volume 1 release. And this guy kind of disappeared. He was kind of lost to history. And then he resurfaced when Metallica did their 30th anniversary show. And I, friend of mine, uh, shout out to Raquel, who is his publicist, was working with him. I was like, I got to talk to this guy. Great X-Man story. I, and I knew nothing pretty much uh, going in as you'll, as you'll hear. So you can kind of learn along with me. I hope you guys enjoy this. You know, in a way, I've been talking to a lot of, uh, you know, you have a lot of brothers on the show, some sisters on the show. I kind of like that, you know, you know, kind of have this as a as a, a platform for diverse guests. I'm 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 enjoying doing that and uh, talking more about some of those issues. But uh, yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. If you're a Metallica fan, you want to know all the nitty gritty, you know, some of the stories you never heard, then I think you really enjoy this. So please check out this conversation with Mr. Lloyd Grant. First time you came on my my radar was when Metallica did that that thirtieth anniversary. Uh, yeah, you know yeah. I didn't even know that you existed before oh, really? that. No, <laughs> no. I mean that's uh, good. It's you know I don't exist in that. I exist in a um, narrow horizon of people that follow um, Metallica and some of the speed metal bands from the early days. Yeah. And, you know, those hardcore people that that came out of way before, you know, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Well, I, I heard there was some notation in the Garage Inc. record where, yeah. you, where you got a credit. Yeah. Um, and also, I believe, Kill Em All. <laughs> so you're in the liner notes for Kill Em All as well? Yes. Okay. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so... So I was trying to do some some research for this, and you're you you're a very much a, a mystery individual. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of um inf information out there, and sometimes I like that because we can kind of sit here and I can actually discover everything or or what I can kind of glean from your history right now. I like kind of because I'll be learning just as people who are listening to this are are going to be learning. Yeah, hope you hope you learn something new. Yeah. So, so you're from Jamaica, right? Correct. Yeah. And um, how long did you did you live there before you came to the U.S.? Um, I came here in '72, so it's about um, a little bit over 19 years. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a were you a metalhead back there, or a rocker, <laughs> a guitar player? Absolutely not. I didn't even play guitar then. Really? No. Really, really, that's couldn't afford guitar, man. Come on, it's yeah. a third world country. Yeah, yeah, but it's... you know, I was in that era where I couldn't, I couldn't afford guitar. Did you? Uh, <laughs> did your whole family come here, or did you come by yourself? Oh, the family situation is totally different story. It, yeah. it, 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 uh, that would know, be its own podcast. Yeah, that, that <laughs> that's a totally different story yeah. to go through that. Yeah, yeah, but uh, to um, the the ending part of it is my mother moved here years ago and um then i came over in 1972. okay yeah and where where did where did you move when you came to the u.s i moved over to duarte where it, is it duarte 
Where's that? That's like east of Pasadena. Okay, so California. Monrovia. Yeah, Pasadena. Okay. Yeah, it's over there. And how was how did how did you acclimate to this whole new experience? And um, I, I, see, I wanted to play guitar. So you, you I, I don't know. I don't know how seriously, but I've never had a guitar before. So when I moved here, there down the street where we lived, there was this big swamp meet every weekend, and they sell stuff down there. One thing they sell is their guitars and amps. And um, I bought went out there. Actually, before that, a friend of mine brought over a Jimi Hendrix. LP, you know, it's a double LP. One of them was blue, the other one have a different color. And I loved the, the music. But how, how old were you? And that's what it was the same year. How, so how old it was you? about 1920. So I went down and bought this guitar, and the guy gave me a strap and uh, one of the cords to plug it in. And that's how I started playing guitars. And you just started playing with no training, just kind of figuring. No training at all. I just started figuring around. Then a couple of weeks after that, I found a guy in Pasadena. Uh, the, the music store was called um, Barry and Grossman Music. Mm -hmm. I can't figure out wh where the address is or what the address is now, but it's not there anymore. Then we used to go there every Saturday, every weekend. And like we, we, we have like Van Halen comes in every weekend and hang out and plays. That time I was just learning. Actual like Eddie Van Halen. Yes, yeah, Eddie Van Halen. You can ask him <laughs> if you remember Barry and Grassman. He will tell you yes. No shit. Oh yeah. So, so I started learning guitar then, and uh, there's another guy there that was really good on guitar, and I started taking some lessons from him also. Who was that? I don't remember his, his name was Mike something, but he and Van Halen Eddie didn't get along. Each one think they were better than each other. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I imagine this guy was pretty good then. Yeah. Mike Albert. That was his name. Okay. Mike Albert. So, like, what were your goals at this time? You were just playing for fun? or Yeah, you were... just playing for fun. Yeah. And, and so we're talking about stuff like Hendrix. We're talking about stuff like Van Halen. Was that... I wasn't playing Van Halen. Yeah. Because, you know, he didn't have anything out then. He was but just he a guy. He was really clever. He was doing a bunch of tricks on his guitar. Yeah. Yeah. But was that... Well, I, the reason why I brought later up on I did, yeah. Well, we all <laughs> the did. First album, yeah. we all did, right? Yeah, we all did. Yeah, <laughs> it was harmonics. Yeah, well, I mean the harmonics, the 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 tapping, the left hand stuff, the tone. Yeah, I yeah. mean everything. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, but no, no. It's I think what's what's fascinating to me is the little I do know about you. I'm trying to figure out how you got from A to B. Yeah. So uh, clearly, a band like Metallica um, coming out of this thrash metal world. What what happens between you kind of linking up with that uh, and then how, what what led you upon that uh, path? I think what led me was uh, like Hendrix. Yeah, you know he didn't play um, the type of commercial music that people most people play at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, I don't know. I just all I was playing was metal. Yeah. You know, heavier stuff. What, I mean, how, how heavy are we talking? What's, what kind of stuff were you listening to? And Back then it was like Sabbath, Deep Purple. Okay. Stuff like that. We thought it was heavy. I mean, yeah. at the time it was, it yeah. was the heaviest stuff, right? Yeah. Did you, uh, 
Then did it you, comes did, into, you know, Michael Shanklock, yeah. UFO. How soon before that did you join a band or did you join a band at, at any um, point? Those days we we joined bands and two days later it's a band breakup or yeah. uh, two months later. You know, if you have three people in the band, it's more like you have three different bands. It's what guys want to do this, they want to do that, and they want everyone to do it. So, you know, the personality in the band, it all depends on what they're going to be playing and what they are into. And they and sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Because you have three different directions that people want to go. So, Did you want to start a band? Did you want to be in, like, a band band? Yes, yes. I, um, I, I've been in bands, mostly the guys around me because of my, my mother was very religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were more into Christian music or not for say Christian music, but were mellow stuff. And they just want to play weddings. Yeah. And there was a lot of weddings. In, in... Did you play weddings? I've never played a wedding, oh. no. <laughs> thankful, thankful to say my, you know, I got a shout out to my father because my father's a piano player and he, he played a lot of weddings. Yeah. He yeah. hated it. We went to a lot of weddings. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. But we didn't play, I didn't play any. Did your mother have an issue because of her religion with the metal music and all that oh, imagery? Oh, yeah. They were, you know, we're Jehovah's Witness. Oh, yeah. So we have an issue with everything. <laughs> if, you, if you go on a date, then you have to have a chaperone. Wow. You know, you know what I'm saying. It's a it's a bad situation for what we're doing, what we were doing at, this, at the time. Did did you adhere to that? Like, were you did you want to be part of that kind of religion or culture, or did you kind of want to do your own thing? It's half and half, half and half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of foot in one door and yeah. foot in the other world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of notice with the with the metal world, it's it's very much. It's like rebel music, right? It's kind of yeah. there's the mainstream and the establishment, and here's your parents trying to tell you this, here's your teacher trying to tell you this, and we're gonna go against it. And especially like in the '80s, that's what it was all about, right? Yeah, was kind yeah. of going going against the grain. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. When we when I started, then it was metal. Then you have the disco revolution came up. Yeah. Did you like that? Um, I didn't know too much about it because. You know, I was Jehovah's Witness at the time. Yeah. And I didn't um, I didn't go out. I didn't go to bars or clubs or anything like that. So you just hear it on the, on the radio. Yeah. So. How did you find, uh, or how did you find and like listen to music? Like where did you hear about new bands? Just from friends or radio? Yeah, I, had, I heard about a lot of bands from friends. Yeah. And to the radio and going to music store, looking through the record stacks, the LPs. Were you going to a lot of shows like around? No, this? I didn't go to any shows. You go to any shows. The only one show I went to is when Van Halen, just before Van Halen comes out with his first album. Yeah. We used to go to the Whiskey and see them a lot. Okay. Because they, they play there. And they used to have the worst band ever in the world, whatever band it was. Opening open for them. <laughs> uh, you may have heard about no, that. I, I, I'm, I'm apparently not in the know on this. Who is this oh, band? Yeah. It's not the same band all the time, but the band was so bad that people were just, we can't take this anymore because Van Halen is coming out and they're going to kick ass. <laughs> and, you know, they get the worst band to come open, to play before them, just before them. Yeah. So when they come on, it would be, yeah. So 
How did you end up meeting the dudes in Metallica? Well, they weren't in Metallica when me, it was, I met Lars. Yeah. Through... And they weren't in the Metallica then. We just we were just forming a band at the time. So they weren't no name per se Metallica at the time when me and Lars met, as far as I know. But how did you, how did you meet, meet him? Through the recycler. And that was that, the, um, the, the newspaper magazine? Yeah, the newspaper. That? It's a weekly thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it got kind of big. They have their own version for Orange County. Then they have L.A. County. Then they start going to other counties. So at this time, they were actually in the L.A. area. They weren't in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so you get together and you just start jamming? Or yeah, that- we, we're jamming. We're, we're playing some, a lot of British, new British. Just playing metal. covers. Yeah, I would have spent a lot of the covers there. And we, were, we I was starting writing some other stuff, but that never come, you know. You were writing stuff with him. What's that? You were writing stuff with Lars? Yeah. Did yeah. you ever record any of it? Um, Maybe. Uh, you know, I don't know where they are right now. <laughs> the mystery tapes there. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't anything significant, if yeah. that's what you meant. Yeah, like, yeah. Significant. It's song. like jam, just jam room yeah. tapes. Yeah. Yeah, we're just jamming. We may so, have recorded quite a bit of it, but. I don't know. You have to, whenever you see him, ask him that. Yeah. So, well, I, luck, luckily, I got to tour with Metallica when I was playing with um, Lamb of God. Yeah. So I got yeah. to meet him and, and, you know, become good, you know, I would say good friends, but, you know, yeah. nice, they were very friendly to me and very, very opening. He was, he was awesome. So, oh, great. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I jam with uh, Rob Trujillo sometimes in his other band, Mass Mental. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I get- Never heard of that band. It's it's like this band that uh, doesn't really play that often. It's Benji from the band Skindred from the UK who, yeah. who sings. Um, another bass player named Ar- Armand Sebalocho. He's like a Cameroonian uh, virtuoso, and he kind of plays like a tenor, high, like kind of a high pitched bass. Mm-hmm. And uh, Robert plays this l- the crazy low end bass. Yes, and then they have this DJ C minus who worked with Corn, and then every now and again they'll have Whitfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe come and, and sing. So that's how I got involved. Was Whitfield was doing this little run of Black Sabbath tunes. Yeah. So I got Ken Schalk, who's a drummer from Candiria. I was jamming with him, and he was filling in. He's like, "Hey man, you, you we need to, we need a guitar player to do these Sabbath songs. You want to come down?" And luckily, Robert knew me from the tour, yeah. so I came down and jammed with him. But Robert's Robert's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good, good, good people. Yeah, um, yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, kind of going going back a little bit to that that era. Were you aware or kind of involved with? what would become the thrash metal scene or is that still not a thing yet at that time or at least in la um was i involved with it well i mean so you think about well so we're talking what like 81 82 yeah this yeah. period well time, 81 right? 82 is um just about when we, we start playing exactly Lars right and so and one one day i went over and Lars says um discover his apartment down here his parents live in newport beach yeah so we go over there and he said hey some guy sent me a tape and he played it for me and it was hit the lights and it was right in our alley that's what we like to do yeah and so that started it well i guess what i'm saying is in in some sense there may not have been a quote-unquote thrash metal scene at that time but then you have a song like hit the lights Mm -hmm. which is kind of like the beginning 
yeah, what, yeah. you know. Yeah, so if you, you were, listen to the compilation album, yeah, there weren't, there weren't any other band that was doing stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, it was a mixture between punk and heavy metal. Yeah. But it you know, and becomes speed metal. But it was not like heavy metal, LA glam rock yeah. or hardcore punk. It was right in between there. Let me ask you, because um, there's this big kind of connection between punk and Jamaica, right? Because of ska. Yeah, and, that and clash. Dub and all that yeah. stuff. Um, did you have any kind of connection to that feel and that kind of speed of things before that, or is it kind of not even related? Uh, it, vaguely, because yeah. we you know we get the um, the English music, yeah. all, all, all the the metal stuff, or or the foreign stuff like Creedence Clearwater, which was from here, yeah, and stuff like the Beatles. <laughs> we get that on the radio there. Well, yeah, I mean, so I, so so it's kind of, uh, but but most Jamaican music was like ska. Yeah, yeah, but it's up tempo, right? Yeah, yeah, it's up tempo. Some of them is fast, and some of them is slow down. And you have rock steady, where where I think it was Bob Marley who kind of changed it slower from ska and rock steady to reggae, which it slowed down and and have a totally heavy type of bass. Yeah, and that and that generated and that type. essentially became That'd the be reggae for the next reggae. fifty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's really interesting. So you get this, you hear this tape, and how did they approach you as far as what was going to happen? They just needed a lead guitar player, or well, I hear this tape and we listen listen to the tape, and it was it was cool, and that's what I want to do. Yeah. But we were, I wasn't, I don't know what Lars was doing when I was, you know, when we were hanging out. He may have just went over and jammed with those guys. But um, we were playing together. Me and him just goes to like rehearsal studio mm -hmm. and just start rehearsing, just start jamming. And we had people that comes in before and play with, with us and bass player, guitar player. But, yeah. but when did um, James come, get involved? So after that keeps going, nothing was happening. It wasn't like we were doing it every week and something, you know, we, we were like not playing. We were not hanging out. Then he was playing with James. Like kind of on the side. Um, it, I don't know. He was just playing with them at that time, after a while. Mm -hmm. He calls me up and says, hey, could you bring that recorder back? He's loaned me a four-chart recorder. And um, so I could write stuff on and record it so he could hear it because we want to use it. And in cause he said, it, we have uh, a part in this song, we want you to put some solo on. Mm -hmm. And it happens that way. I went over and jammed with him and James. And, um, and they said, um, they want me to put solo on the song, but it, it didn't happen at that time. They actually showed up at my apartment with a recorder and I do the solo thing. So you did it like just right at their house? No, my house. Your house. My apartment, yeah. And was uh, Ron McGovney involved as like the bass he player? Was, he was a bass player, but he didn't, uh, I didn't play with Ron at the time. He wasn't there. Yeah. So it's at Ron's house, they were rehearsing. Yeah. But I went over and Ron wasn't there, it was just James and Lars. So that's what we did. And when the recording take place, they, Lars called me up and says, we need to put this solo on this song. 
So they brought the recorder over to my little apartment and I did it there and I take the, the song and now, now was it make, <laughs> make history, I guess. Was it, uh, was it called Metallica at this point? What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same so if that sounds cool you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and i'll see you there there. yes welcome everyone i'm hal schwartz and i'm flynn mcclain together we host none but the brave a podcast dedicated to the music and career of bruce springsteen bruce and e street band are on tour right now for the first time in six years and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. I think so, but I didn't know. So, I so, so you, you, in a sense, it was like, did uh, you just I, feel like you were doing a favor for a friend kind of thing? Or did you feel like you were like, yeah, oh, I kind I'm, of get that feeling, yeah, but, but, um, a very, yeah, it kind of seems like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think I was doing him a favor. But did you um, did you think you would be involved with the band, kind of like for like in terms of joining the band? Well, he or? invited me to at the time, which which he was, did, yeah. And w- and you said no. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you you're in L.A. and every band you join uh, breaks up. Yeah. So I don't know. It was kind of a, now you look back at it, you know, it wasn't the uh, correct decision. But, yeah. Yeah, because. Because that's what you wanted to do to begin with. Why I said that, and and the, you can't see down the road what was going to happen, yeah. or if even if it was if you could see, you didn't make the right decision. Yes. What What do you think at the time, though? 
particular about that was it like a musical thing you just didn't really feel like it spoke to you like what you wanted to do at the time or is it no, a it, personal it, thing or? the time is it's it's a personal thing for me because i live on my own yeah and if i didn't work i i wouldn't be able to eat or have a place to live yeah and if i dedicated all that time or move away and um I have to have a secure job. I have to have a car to get around. It's Los Angeles. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot more factors. And, and in the future, do I have an education? Where am I going to work? I can't go to McDonald's for, until I'm you know, 60 years old. So you were working like a regular job, like a day job? I working a regular job, and I was going to school. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've, done that, I've done that for years. Yeah. What were you going to school for? Oh, I end up having a couple of degree in chemistry. Oh, wow. So I end up working as a chemist for many years. So you were being very resp responsible. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't make any sense. Well, so, it, well, I, yeah. think it, I think it depends on how you look at it. You know, yeah, I, I think, yeah. you know. There's some benefit to having an education in opposed to having a career, um, a successful career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I just think, you know, doing this show, I get to talk to so many people, and even myself included. Yeah, where, I envy you. I should, you know. Oh, <laughs> well, no, but no, but hear, hear me out. Um, where people hit that, like they, a lot of people say, "All right, I'm gonna not gonna work the job. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna sleep, whatever, at my buddy's house." And they go and they they get in the van and they go on tour and they kind of grind it out. And maybe the band gets some success and they do well, but it's usually like later in life they're like you know what We're, i'm not making enough money i want to start a family i want to do this and then they kind of change and and their their whole world view on things gets a little more difficult mm -hmm. you know, i think what's different about you and maybe this has to do with kind of being a first generation um immigrant where you probably have that pressure on you or that thing of hey i have to i'm lucky enough just to be here mm -hmm. and i can't screw that up and just fuck off and be in a rock and roll band and because perhaps there's probably like family looking at you, there's other people saying, hey, you have to be responsible. That's very common, mm -hmm. I think, in uh, immigrant culture in America, where you see that, and especially with, um, I think, Asian immigrants, where they're, uh, you know, they're, they're so hardworking, they value uh, education, they mm -hmm. value family, kind of more traditional backgrounds. But yes. I don't think that's uncommon, and I, I can't even... If, you know, from a first. But if, if I had the support of my family, yeah, then I wouldn't be going to college. But when you say be, support, a, you mean financial support or moral support? Um, Both? not financial support because I, you know, I I'm always working. I've been working since I was 15. If I could go and live with my parents, just work, yeah, concentrate on music and just work, I probably wouldn't be. I probably wouldn't go to college and do this. I'd do the things that you wanted to do. I wanted to do. Yeah. So it. So. But I, but I didn't have that. If I. So I have to look ahead and says, what happened if I wasn't working? So what kind of like would they tell you just actively like don't do music, just get a job? Would they would they actually like did they not understand? No, all? no, no. I mean they they didn't involve in involve in telling me what to do per se, but. If I, I I couldn't, if I was living with, if I was living with my parents or my mother, I, which it is, um, no, I'm living in your house. You got to go to, 
the Kingdom Hall, Watchtower and Awake magazine, and you know, what's that? What, what are those magazines? There was a magazine that the um, the they put out. Oh, the uh, monthly or twice a month. The it's uh, called a Watchtower and Awake magazine. Okay, and they just outline certain things that came from the Bible. And that's the Jehovah's it. Witness magazines. Yeah. Okay, correct. Yeah, I'm 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 in the dark. I know that that Michael that the Jackson family is Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen her once. That's years and years ago. I've seen them once. A group of them. Yeah. At the um, we have congregation. They have that con some you know like a big meeting, big congregation get yeah. together, and and they are always there. All right, so the uh, the metal was it the metal massacre? Metal yeah. massacre one. All right, so that comes out now. When that came out, were you like, hey, here's this record? Like, like was that the first time you had like a recording out with that you played on? Yes, but it didn't mean anything to me. Why not? Time. What are you talking about? It's like here's... see, that's how involved I was. You were just yeah. disconnected. Yes, from the, yes. From the it's world. not like you know. That's what I have to. So, you so know, I didn't have to like say, hey, I gotta wait till this thing come out. Oh no, I'm on the record. No, I had other things to do. I have um, classes to take. I have a job to do. I need to um, eat. I had got to take care of my car. So it runs. Yeah, you're living life. Yeah, so I didn't have, I can't, I, I don't go to clubs. I don't have any money to do that, you know. Mm. I'm just like a regular poor musician who wants to play music. So, but you still were playing and oh, absolutely. working on stuff. Oh, learning the art, yeah. Yeah, and were you, when did it come on your radar that that thing you did a while back was actually taking off? Um, I don't... I don't know. Plus, I don't think it's just me alone what do you that mean? um that makes it take took off. I mean, the song is pretty good. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying that you were the sole reason. I just mean yeah. in just. It, I'm talking about general. It seems like you were, you were doing something and you weren't really paying attention to the scene. No, and the world. I was and, not. And the world of that. Yeah. I uh, was paying attention to the scene. That back in those days, we traded a lot of tapes. Yeah. So I got a lot of tapes from uh, Europe, wherever. Yeah. That people send to me, or because I send them another tape that they don't have, so the, the music gets around in this group of people in Europe and here in the United States and South America yeah. by cassette tapes. So we have a lot of tapes. Then it started to be videotapes, and then I have a lot of other videotapes, like live bootlegs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. People just recorded at a concert, and they just trade it with other with others. So I, I keep uh, in connection with the music that way. Yeah. But as far as going to all the shows, I didn't go to a lot of shows until maybe late 80s, early 90s. You kind of started getting back involved yeah. mo- a little more. I didn't it. even um, see Metallica until like a big show until after the Black Album. Did you, stay, when I did got, you stay in touch with them at all or... You know what? I did not stay in touch with them then because I didn't have time. Yeah. Well, uh, so what? So what? So all right. So that happens. That's like '82, and then you don't see them till the '90s. What were you doing in that whole decade? Between between the '80s and the '90s, I was in another band called Defcon. Defcon. Yeah. Have and you so seen so, that? No, I don't. I, I'm telling you, man. You you're a mystery out there, man. I got. <laughs> that's that's like hardcore speed metal. Trash. Really? Yeah. All right. So yeah. so. Uh, so what happened with DEFCON? Did you guys get signed? Did you tour? What happened? We we had a 
couple contracts, but we didn't sign him. Why and not? We just we just played around here because we just think it was nonsense for um, a record company to want give us that little bit of a money for one record. Were these like little labels? Are they like more major labels? Uh, one of them, uh, I I was just looking at one of them yesterday with my friend. One of them was Roadrunner, which he said, "Oh, Roadrunner is pretty big now." Yeah, that's that's of course. Yeah, and you guys didn't realize. No, it's before then. I, then See, he was saying, you know, that loudness signed with them at, in a couple of years after. It says no. no. They, well, they were probably a brand new label at that time. They were probably yeah, they were brand new labels. In fact, the guy flew out here and talked to my friend Steve. Yeah, was a bass player at the time. So the Defcon stuff, can we find that on Spotify or YouTube or is that anywhere out there? Um, you can find. Yeah, some guy is actually selling the tape for we'll sell it. He's for selling two, a tape, two hundred dollars demo tape. Right? That doesn't sound like it's on YouTube. <laughs> you don't have you don't have and, any and, recordings. And it's uh, um you can we can look it up after you if you want now. Yeah, well, yeah, I would definitely want to check that. And out. um and we, I call um, I think he's he have it on eBay also, and we call him up and he dropped the price for down to one ninety nine. So it's like one ninety nine now. So I we just put I put one up now for the same price. So we're gonna see what's going on. Yeah. So we have a, a demo CD. Okay. On there. So you were and doing I that put band one video up just the other day. So I have tons of videos that I'm gonna put up. Just lot like live footage and stuff. Live footage, so you guys can see them. So you were pretty much doing the band in your spare time as like um, mm -hmm. so you were working, going to school, do, yeah. doing doing exactly. all that. Exactly. But still kind of music was your like pet project on the yeah, side. Yeah, so we were doing um the Defcon project. Mm -hmm. And at no point you ne you never thought, all right, at some point I'm going to put the school to the side, put the job and just focus on music. You you never Well, how can you do that? If uh, where are you gonna live on in your well, car? You just, no, you just here. Yeah. here well, I, you you. I know. I, I know. I've lived in my car before, but I mean, you, you can't put pile a bunch of amps. You know, you need you need to work. All right, why? Well, and I, I uh, you need a place to live, and 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 that's why I didn't say, hey, I'm gonna put this work aside and and jump off the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, it didn't happen. So, <laughs> listen, I need I need like a nickname like Re Responsible Lloyd, taking care of taking oh, care no, of business. Oh no, I'm not responsible. <laughs> if I was responsible, I would probably I'd probably make the right decision, and you know more carefully, you know. Well, well, well. All right. So talking about that, I mean, you've mentioned that a, a few times, and it seems like there's definitely you regret certain decisions. Of course. Yeah. That's no question. Yeah. So is is it that you just feel like you sh you wish you could have been more adventurous or like m take more risks? Yeah, but I but you know, as I explained to you, as you could see, you know, it, you felt like you didn't really have an option. I, I don't have an option there. Yeah. Like I said, if if I could say, "Hey, you know what? I can hang out with this band and we can go to New York. We can go all over the place and I can just come back and go into my room and sleep and play guitar." I yeah. didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to have my own situation, my own place. Yeah. I got to pay rent. I got to do all of these stuff. So, so after, uh, you want to grab something? Sorry. <laughs> um, after we're, 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 we're so, sipping on some wine. We're being, uh, here, we're going to, yeah, this is a nice it. glass here. There we go. Cheers, yeah. sir. Cheers, Cheers, sir. Um, so you were doing the DEF CON band. 
and then you get to see the Metallica guys after the Black Album. Obviously, at this point, they're the biggest band in the world. In uh, fact, one of my friends um, was up in Sacramento because his wife was doing her medical intern. Yeah. It was the guy who got me into chemistry. And um, he said, you should call him up. And he um, he called the, the backstage people and say, hey, Lloyd Grant is going to come. Could he get some tickets and passes? And that's how I first started doing it. So we were just going to pay and go to the concert and have a great time. But we end up, you know, hanging out with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that, listen, I, I, it's, it's hard for me not to personalize some of this when I, when I hear your story because... Yeah. My old band, we were the ones that didn't care. We were like, we we're lucky we had some parents we could stay with or we could figure some certain things out. Um, but we were just like, while all of our friends were going to college and getting jobs, mm -hmm. we were just like, all we cared about was the band. Mm -hmm. We just, like, that's why I, th I think there definitely was, though, that buffer of yeah. family. Mm -hmm. And not like our family was giving us money, but just someone saying, hey, you can stay and not have to worry about rent. For a while, uh, that, that would be like that's a big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a huge deal. Yeah, and and and, and we, not not only that, the, uh, the the other guys like you were just into the music. I had some of those friends that came up to me after that I made after Metallica was getting really huge, and I could see the enthusiasm in them in the music, and I'm like, this is this is like nothing to me, and it's like it's it's like everything to them the yeah. music. Well, I think what it sounds like to me is much like you had separate worlds with, you know, your parents and the religion mm -hmm. and then music. I think it sounded like you were so focused on work and school yeah. and then music was kind of over here and they were, and to, I think, and I think this, this exists in a lot of realms where certain things you can't, you either have to be fully in. Yeah. Or you're kind of gonna miss the boat a little yeah, stay bit. Stay away from organized religion. <laughs> you have to tell me. I'm a yeah. I'm a pretty ardent uh, agnostic yeah. slash atheist. So yeah. you know I didn't you know. But that's you know to each his own. To each his yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. I said stay away from it. <laughs> spoken spoken from Lloyd Grant over here. Give that's me, right. Just just stay away. Yeah, stay uh, away from it. So it will get you. <laughs> so between. It's 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 so it's so insane to think about these these timelines. So we're talking about the the early nineties, and the early nineties was you know, Metallica was big in the seventies in the eighties. Excuse me. Yeah, and well, yeah. and the nineties, and pretty much in the nineties. I'm just talking from where you know when they start rise. There was huge then. So yeah. after Defcon ended, where did you do any music stuff between that era and when I'm finding out about you at this thirtieth anniversary show? Uh, as far as like uh, big name bands, well, or, not even no, big, big nothing. Names. I still plays. I'm so still it, at this point, a, it's more of a hobby. It's not a hobby to me. What, so, <laughs> but, no, but, 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 but seriously, what what is it to you though? It, it it's something deeper than that. Yeah, it's like part of your like artistic expression. It's part of what I'm supposed to probably doing in this earth. Yeah, for, you know, for this last pound I have here, it's probably what I should have been doing. Yeah, because of, I've went into. You know, when it's school, I had, you know, get an education and it doesn't seem like the time fly by so fast. Yeah. It doesn't seem like I've done anything. So no. during this time, did you, were you recording your own music? Were you working on stuff or is it more you were just playing to play? 
Both. I have I have a lot of stuff that I've written. Yeah. Yeah. Because I write down most of the... You know, Steve wrote one song in DEF CON, and I wrote all the songs mm-hmm. there. So you definitely had a lot... But I mean, even... So when did DEF CON end? DEF CON ends in 80... 85, 86. Okay, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of time between... Yeah. So you didn't have a band after that? No, I didn't have like a public band playing okay. around. No. Okay, so... I jam with people from time to time. Can you tell me how you got involved with the 30th anniversary show? Um, Loris invited me. So he just reached out and said, hey, we're getting, we're getting the old band back together. <laughs> no, no, he didn't say that. He didn't say they haven't decided. I heard about it. Excuse me. I heard about the anniversary. Uh, and I, I, I was thinking of going, just going down there. Just to, to visit, it. yeah. Yeah. But he called and invited me. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be pretty and exciting. And invited me to play. So yeah. that was, oh, yeah. It was, uh, that, that's the biggest, um, I guess that's the biggest time of my life as far as a professional musician playing. Yeah. Because those guys are... Like, like I said, the number I one had, heavy metal band listen, in town. You gotta understand, for me, yeah, to be like everyone's like, "Yo, man, the original guitar player in Metallica was black." I'm like, see, because me, I want black people to take credit for everything. I'm like, <laughs> black people invented rock and roll. Black people invented jazz. Black people invented computers. I want to take credit for everything. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the the, uh, the you know, I took uh, also a course in uh, the history of rock and roll, and it was like blues first. And then they start doing jazz deal. Then the big band came in in there someplace. Yeah. So it was it was really blues music before you know call and response. You know, it's it's, it's all black slavery type music that that people are suffering. You know, they always speak of you know bad luck and troubles. Of course. So I mean, you listen. That comes out. It comes out into heavy metal. You know. The, well, uh, well, no. I mean, that's the kernel of it. Whether yeah. whether so, rock music. Which, by proxy, is was pop music for yeah, for a yeah. certain amount of time. Oh yeah, um, it, you know it's blues based. Then you have hip hop. Yeah, right. That's yeah. that comes. You know, the, so but much. There, there was not. There was the the Irish music in between there. That was totally different genre than rock and roll. Yeah, where well, they of have course. the. Uh, I don't know what you call that. The what is it? The uh, the bagpipes. Bagpipes. Well, actually, that's yeah. Scottish. Actually. Scottish. Yes, I believe the bagpipes are Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. We, right. We can bagpipes have Scottish. We can have someone right in the show and yell at us for getting the instruments wrong. Yeah. Sorry about that. We uh, <laughs> we regret mentioning it was Irish. <laughs> well, well, no. I mean, I'm I'm specifically referring to the American music story, right? America is very young as a country. Yeah. But our our biggest um, contribution culturally to the world is our music, our art, our film, and the the, the musical story. A, a big part of it, I, I'd say, more than anything, is black music. Yes. You know, and there's something very specific about the black experience in America that created that art. Mm-hmm. And so, so me connecting you to that on this on the on a personal level was. A it was mind blowing, like mm-hmm. it was just completely out of, out of left left field, and being exciting, which is why you know that came on on my radar. And A, I'm, Metallica is my all time favorite band, so 
just to know that and say like I didn't know that like where was this this information hiding <laughs> <laughs> so so for me I was just I was just blown away yeah. uh by that so that's that's super fascinating obviously I, knew, I didn't know anything about yeah. you yeah. But, those but, guys are blessed man they're, they're listen they're talented I, and and you know they're blessed to have that opportunity well I mean I mean you listen you could probably speak on this but one thing I noticed touring with them mm-hmm. was just the air of positivity mm-hmm. and they kind of want everyone to feel connected like and all you have to do is you, you ever sit in on one of their meet and greets where they meet with the fans um maybe once or twice i never sit in on it but i've i've well, been backstage and there and i've seen the fans come and go i've seen a lot of bands do meet and greets yeah and they here's the thing about metallica they don't have to do meet and greets they don't. The show is going to be sold out. Mm-hmm. They're going to do well. Like, but they really, really care about connecting with people. Yes. They really appreciate that support. And as a band who opened up for them, seeing how well they treated us and wanted to connect to us and wanted to talk to us. I've toured with headline bands where I never even met them. They just they oh, hit really? out. Yeah, they just hit on. Maybe not everyone in the band, but that you know, maybe the lead singer you'd never see him. He yes. would. They wouldn't come up and say hello. There wasn't that solidarity. There is something about, you know, to me, I've never met a band that successful, but to see the correlation between the success and also this humility. Yeah. And even like you look at the, uh, like the documentaries they've done, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Where they, like, you know, some kind of monster, they put themselves out there. Yes. It I- does not make them look <laughs> great. And that takes a lot of humility. To, yeah, to, I wonder. I wonder who do that because um, that's something I, I was surprised about. Like someone would say something really bad about the the black album, yeah, and they um, they print it in their sleeves. Say this is what X Y Z said. Yeah, they don't print the, all the positive stuff about it. They print the negative and the, and the positive, so you can have a round view. Yeah, I think. Well, I think there's a there's that thing of confronting oneself and your own mortality and your own weaknesses and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And that, that's something I personally identify with and I give them a ton of credit because like I said, they don't have to do it. Yeah. They, if they wanted to, they could be completely secretive and not really let people in. Yes. But what for whatever reason, their brand and their the way they approach that is to be open and kind of let, even like things, like they'll put out live footage mm-hmm. and there'll be mistakes in there. Yeah, and they'll just kind of like, "Hey, man, that's just how we played it," and they're okay with it. And I think that's beautiful because so everyone is trying to pretend that they're the best and that there there's no problems and every you know every every picture is photoshopped and every piece of music is edited and it's like, nah, man, just sometimes it. But it takes a very secure person to do that. You know? Yeah. So. So, so that that means um, people are gonna come at um, my interview with you and find all the mistakes. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're we're in a, a period of time now where it doesn't matter how good something is. Yeah. Someone's going to find something wrong with it. Oh, yeah. And I, I, th- I think it's a, um, a reflection of the the internet and social media age where before the only person that people cared about that was criticizing was Rolling Stone magazine or yeah. Roger Ebert or mm-hmm. this important uh, restaurant critic on the New York Times or something like that. And now everyone's given a platform and people yeah. kind of feel that they do know more. They're like, mm-hmm. well, oh, everyone likes this movie. 
Well, I hate it. Everyone likes this album. I hate it. Everyone thinks that actress is pretty. I think she's ugly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just want to say the opposite of what everyone else thinks. Yeah. And the way I, I, I look at it as a creator, it's once you create and you put your stuff out there and then you get all the criticism, you have a lot more empathy for people who create and people who get criticism because you're like, you know what? This isn't easy. It's yeah. not easy to make things. Even the thing that you thought wasn't great or perfect, the people that worked on it, guess what? They probably didn't think it was perfect either. Yeah. They just did their best. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. So I, I just think that stuff was really fascinating. So this 30th anniversary show happens. Clearly, this had some impact on you. Absolutely. In, in terms of how you wanted to introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself to reintroduce, the world yeah. as, a, as, as a musician. So what, yeah. what happened after the show? Um, Nothing. What do you mean nothing? <laughs> something happened. Well, I well something happened to happen because more people saw me because I played with them. A lot, a lot more people saw me. Yeah. And they have Metallica put out the um, the actual song and video of us playing. And Which they, is very cool. I implore everyone to go on YouTube and check out the Hit the Lights performance. Yeah, they put that out and they also, also a bunch of people who were there in the audience made their own copy and they, they put that out also. And, that, and that's with Ramna Govney played on that too. Yeah. And Mustaine, right? Yes. Yeah, so that was, so, that, so it's the full Metallica band, Lloyd and those guys too. So it's a really, yeah. really special performance. I mean, I, actually, I implore everyone listening to this to go and watch all the songs from that night because it's... Jason yeah. Newstead comes back. Yeah. Mustaine plays a bunch of stuff. It's really, mm -hmm. really awesome. I, yeah. I, that's a I think show. Ozzy I, plays that night too. He was there. Yeah. And then it, did King Diamond? They, they were early on in the week. It was like three days or four, four days, like from Thursday to Saturday night or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they it's been going on all of, like half of the week. Well, I, I got to go on a YouTube hole and yeah, <laughs> watch all a lot stuff. Of, yeah. A lot of them there. Yeah. That was playing. But. So did this event kind of inspire you to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to get more involved. I'm going to focus more on music. Yes. In what way? <laughs> what happened? What did you start doing? Well, um, just being on stage with Metallica, you've seen the passion of the, uh, the fans. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Did you get a lot of positive feedback? People reaching out to you, fans? Oh, yeah. A lot of positive feedback and, you know, some negative. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll find those guys. We'll fuck them up. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the negative ones were funny. Yeah, one of them was like, "How come you playing a Les Paul Junior guitar and not a Les Paul?" You know, and the guy going on and on. And that's you know, yeah, about that. It's just because it's a Les Paul Junior and it's not a full Les Paul or whatever. It's like saying, "How come you eating a hard cake and it doesn't have any sugar in there?" Whatever. Well, here's the thing. I'm I'm in front of Lloyd. You know, you're a you're a slight fellow. Les mm -hmm. Pauls are big and heavy and bulky. You don't want to break your back. You know, get no, I I can play. Or, or why you went? Why didn't you take your flying V? Uh, you know, actually, the V would have been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It has some issues with it at the time. Uh oh. So you should have. Uh, you just said James, man. Let me use one of yours. <laughs> oh, they they offered me to use their guitars. But you wanted to use yours. Yeah, because, you know, you're more familiar. I, I have several guitars, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Right on. But you right want to play with one that you, you've you been playing for a while. Right on. So I, I don't know you. Um, if you're going to do an important show with, <laughs> and someone just throw you a guitar and, and you could have your own, which one would you use? Well, 
It depends because if I could, it depends. It depends yeah. which which guitar. I I understand what you, what what you're saying, but I I've done that. I've been in situations where I just rolled up and they had something that I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. But yeah. I always have mine just in case. But sometimes like, yeah, hey, I'll use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this event happens, and I look now, and you have a website, you know, and it has some has some stuff yeah, up I'm there. Yeah, I'm building one. It's not. Are you building a website? <laughs> yeah, it's not you're, really. Yeah. You're working uh, with Raquel on, on, on PR. So you're yes. obviously taking a step to put yourself out there to present yourself. What, what are your goals right now? My goals right now is to uh, record a full-length CD or LP. Just like a should... solo record? Yeah. Are you going to sing on it? Is it gonna be yes, I'm singing. I'm okay. singing and playing guitars. What what kind of stuff is this? Thrash metal? Is it rock and roll? Yeah, it's like thrash metal, rock and roll. Um, yeah, no, I play for you before you leave. Okay, yeah. right on. Yeah, well, I, I, I a couple of songs. It. It's a couple of songs. All right, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, are you feeling good about where things are at and what's where where you're moving towards? Yes, yeah. I'm personally looking for. Look, I'm looking for a bass player right now. Okay. To join this group. All right. Yeah. You should ask Robert. Robert Trujillo. <laughs> I know, you know he's already in the biggest he's band busy. in the world. He's busy. He's busy. But he lives. He lives right in Venice, man. Not too far. Yeah, yeah. He lives over there. Yeah. <laughs> he's a cool guy. Right on, man. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up, man. I really appreciate you being on the show. This has been terrific. Thank you so much, brother. Well, thank you too. Thank you for having me.
So that is the original recording. I actually had to find that on YouTube. So hopefully no one comes and, and sues me. That is the original recording. And I believe that's the first Metallica recording ever released on Metal Blade's Metal Massacre Volume 1. And I I just read this. So there are other volumes and other press. Well, not the other volumes, but there are other pressings of Volume 1 where they did a different version with actually Dave Mustaine playing lead guitar on there. But that version is the one with Lloyd Grant. So I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I learned a lot. Hopefully you learned a lot. It's a very, very fascinating story. And I think one of the main takeaways talking to Lloyd is, hey, follow your dreams. Because in life, reg regrets will happen. And you don't want to live life saying coulda, woulda, shoulda. As we said on last week's podcast where we played that snot song that was called coulda, woulda, shoulda, or shoulda, woulda, coulda, or one of those. But you know what I mean, guys. Stick with it, all right? Fuck school. Rock and roll. No, I'm just kidding. Stay in school, kids. So I'm going to get out of here. You know the deal. I always say the same stuff. I was like, sponsor the show. Leave me a review. You know, I'm not saying none of that shit this week. You know, I'm, I'm too tired in life. Okay. I got up at 2.30 in the afternoon today. All right. That's a lot of work sleeping that late. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know if I had too much coffee or not enough today, guys. I think I'm losing it. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. Mama out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.